All right, Marky, episode 38. We're joined by a very interesting person today. We're home for the holidays. Episode 38, he is the State Department Foreign Service Officer. He's been all over the world. He's done good things here and all over the world. Mike McGuire, welcome to the program. How are you? Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Mark. Great. Thanks for having me. Yep. Well, I am I am one of I am one of 13,000 State Department Foreign Service officers. So. Very good. Thank you. So Mike gets started, of course, Bishop Timon on McKinley in 98. And a lot of people don't know there's a little connection here. Very good lacrosse player you started out, Mike. Yeah, I loved lacrosse. Grew up playing hockey since age five, really. You remember. Yeah. That. You guys remember that. Or even sooner, probably in the street driveway. You know? Yeah. All sports Mark all has the, the time, fancy yeah. backyard uh, swimming pool, ice rink. Setup, <laughs> which, yeah. Well, that's now, you know. When we only had hockey sticks when you were yeah, little. Yeah, I would have killed, killed, killed for that. Yeah. yeah, right. Someone had one over on Dorrance when we were growing up. Do you remember that? Yes. Was it Terry Kane? Terry, Terry Kane, yeah. But like, I felt like that's where like lacrosse originated for most of South Buffalo, and people don't realize it. It was like right on the streets. And when you get into lacrosse, we always like to give credit to the, the innovators of South Buffalo, and Mike was involved in that group with Kevin Ribsinski, Timmy Barrett, you know, guys like that, and... It just came natural, but you guys were, you and Ribs, who've been on the show. Ribs is fascinating. You know oh, Ribs. Yeah. Familiar with the Ribs episode. Yeah. <laughs> so you were like innovators of lacrosse, and to come home now and see how lacrosse is going around here, pretty big. How does that make you feel, Mike? Yeah, it's actually really cool. I mean, watching guys like Connor Fields. Um play and um just seeing what they've done other i mean you can look at a lot of d1 teams now that have time and uh guys on the team yeah but, or not even timing but just that came that that started playing in this area in western new york and it wasn't much of a popular sport when we uh started oh no like, but and i mean our high school didn't even have a team and they didn't even and want my, you guys my, to you know, our team. freshman year i think Ribs probably talked about that too, but we didn't have an actual varsity team when we entered high school. But who scored uh, the first goal? You remember? Probably Ribs. Yeah, <laughs> Scott <laughs> Hamilton. Was it Scott Hamilton? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no! It's really cool to see um, see the sport grow and um, people do really well with it. It wasn't, re- it wasn't necessarily in the cards for me, but it's cool to who see. Who was recruiting you guys though? Um, we had. A lot of interest from D3 schools from it seemed like mostly New York State for the uh, and I don't know that was another thing I was just so ignorant about the process back then that um, our coach at the time was you know making some contacts with uh, mostly D3 teams and then so you had like Alfred University Clarkson Cuca College um, I think there were a few others um, I thought there was some interest from Bucknell at one point in D1, but uh, down in Pennsylvania. But um, yeah, I, I was like totally unaware of how that process was was playing out. But coaches started showing up to some of our games. But to my knowledge, to, for the most part, they were they were D3, a couple D2 maybe. Did you ditch uh, hockey? Were you only lacrosse at that point? Yeah, there. I think in my junior year, I decided to focus more on lacrosse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, you know. I felt like I was better at it at the time that I, I was better at lacrosse than I was at hockey at that specific time. So, um, felt like I just wanted to focus on one. 
Yeah, and I think that gets lost today. Uh, there's too much focus on one. You don't just let the process go, and we find out what we're good at, and then we do it, just like it being an electrician, Marky. And the reason I bring up the whole sports thing is that there's a lot of things after sports, and I want to make that clear that it ain't all about sports, and you're going to see it. Mike lives sports, and he's not lying. Age five to, you know, we, now we go to Alford, and we're we're playing college lacrosse. Right. And that, that shit show, I, I uh, visited some time up in Alford. You guys were having a great time up there. It was it was fun. I mean, but even D3 lacrosse is pretty serious. Like, yeah. you know, workouts at 6 in the morning, 7 in the morning before school started. So, like, that's something that you have to adapt to. You're not used oh, to that yeah. out of high school. Uh, so it was um, then I ended up getting a stress fracture my sophomore year and you know, I, I was having a pretty good time playing, but then just figured out at some point that I should focus on the school part too. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't like flunking out of school either, sure. but, um, you know, ended up changing majors, doing other things, just like, you know, sometimes the cross schedule would limit what you could even study because of the times that different classes were happening. So I don't know. Sometimes I have, you know, I think about what if I continued for those four years, but um, stopped playing after sophomore year. So, but, you know, I'm pretty happy overall with the way things worked out, but I think it is good to have a plan B, especially, um, you know, with sports, because you don't know where it's going to take you. Were so. you getting into art or did you go to school for art or some sort of art? No, I originally, did. Um, I wanted to, actually, oh, okay. but um, I did. I ended up doing mechanical engineering my first year. And then I switched to I took a couple philosophy and psychology classes and switched to minor in philosophy, major in psychology. So that's what I ended up with. Yeah, yeah that's but, what I graduated with just because I thought it was more because your old man like fixed planes and stuff, right? Wasn't he like a mechanic? Yeah, or that was probably an influence, too. But uh, yeah, and you know, engineers make good money coming out of school yeah. too. And I, you know, but I, it just like, wasn't what I was interested in studying. You say artistic. Mike was very artistic growing up and he lived on the same street as ribs. So think about that. We got lacrosse sticks and we got drawings and <laughs> I used to trade baseball cards with Mike. Mike's very, he's a thinker. You'd give him a, tr a trade in a card. And he, remember the older guy that used to try to rip us off. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike would just go, nah, you know, I, 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 I just don't see that happening. <laughs> I just don't see it happening. So Mike is a thinker. And then we get into Duquesne now in 02. You're going there. How do you get from Alfred there? I had no idea what to do after Alfred. So <laughs> I just figured um, more school would be a good idea. Um, not really thinking about student loans, uh, you know, but you know, you take on more student loans, the more school you do. Uh, but I did want to do like, so I did a master's again in psychology that set me up to do social work after that. Then I, I moved back to Buffalo, but Pittsburgh was a cool city too. A lot of similarities to Buffalo. So it was cool to live in Pittsburgh, really, uh, passionate sports people too. Rust Belt, yeah, Rust Belt you know, a lot of cool stuff going on there. Um, so that was cool. A lot of people came down and visited during that, those couple of years, but then moved back here. Yeah. I, I went to Duquesne mainly because my advisor at, at Alfred said, you know, that's, we talked about like 
possible schools to try for grad school and i just ended up with that one but um because it sounded like a good program and then we're hopping into the middle of things here but yeah it's totally crazy everything almost everything that i did in school i don't really do at all right anymore (laughs) i'm gonna gonna get to that (laughs) uh, but you know it's still it's still really cool uh the fact uh that you know i don't regret it but sure you know the stuff i learned but it's really interesting how that plays out (laughs) so now we're gonna start helping people we're getting into social work is how do you transition from school getting into social work in buff in the buffalo area back then it was i mean it was 2000 2003 so i think i think i actually looked for stuff in the buffalo news oh yeah um which i don't know if anyone does that anymore but. yeah it's still i mean i think that everything's just advertising now yeah but anything I mean, advertising like, still it, there like nothing was online no. so it's kind of crazy um i didn't have a personal computer in college or anything it's just crazy how much um everything is on online now but uh yeah just submitted an application Worked at a coffee shop for a little while, f- trying to figure things out. Yeah, um, down on Allen Street. That was that was fun. Um, I think everyone should do at some point service a service or restaurant type job because you learn some oh, interesting yeah. things. It humbles you. I actually worked at another rest- Peruvian restaurant later on, like just for extra money. Just sure, um, and it was like it was it was pretty fun. Worked as a bartender and stuff. But no, when I moved back to Buffalo after Pittsburgh. Um, um, applied for a job. I ended up getting a job on the east side uh, at a mental health treatment facility that was for people that had mental illness and drug addiction, substance abuse issues. But the goal was to get them back on their feet and working again. So it was a pretty cool program, really. I don't. I've been totally out of touch with how much they're still doing those types of programming in Buffalo. But I think I think it was the trend because it, you know in the early days of mental health it was that used to put people in institutions and sure. lock them up and then they couldn't be in society anymore so it was actually a pretty cool program then i part of it was working with the mental health court too but the city of buffalo had a mental health court where if it was like i think your first offense and you had mental illness but you also had substance abuse issues you could go to treatment before going or instead of going to jail, but you had a parole officer kind of monitoring what was going on. So mm-hmm. I was, but I was like the treatment guy on the treatment side, trying to keep that person on track. So it didn't end up back in the system or could try to be like productive in a job or go back to school. So, I mean, it was really good, but it was high, high burnout. I was also doing stuff like, you know, taking urine screenings for guys that have been doing Coke for the past 15 years. Yeah. And it's, pretty hard to break those uh, and doing treatment groups and um you know i worked under a psychiatrist and like a more senior social worker because i was totally green and i was what 23 i think so Dude. how do you tell i mean how do you coach a 60 year old guy that you know grew up in an area totally different than you know south buffalo let's say right. and has been had all these issues Maybe even decades. in the service or, or, or things like that, yeah, too. Yeah, plus on top of that. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, I I mean, I did that for about three years and was, like, burning out because um, it was a pretty – it was a high-stress well, job. I got to think th- there's some violence involved in the room at, at times, I would think, right? Yeah, people get angry. Yeah. Sure. yeah. I never felt like 
physically threatened. There were a couple close calls, but um, we were also trying to break down the stigma. Some, I mean, even today, like you can hear people say that um, mentally ill people are more violent than people that are not mentally ill. That's not necessarily true. Um, so yeah, we were trying to do good stuff. Um, but it was a high burnout job. Um, and it was pretty low pay, but, um, it was, but it was a good experience. I always say that people in that field and ambulance drivers, very underpaid. Yeah. Teachers too. I mean, it's all across the board. It depends on the state, but you know, you can make 30 grand starting as a teacher in one state, but 60 grand in other places. And for the most part, I mean, in my opinion, not the politics behind it, but they're pretty underpaid too. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you know, you come away with some of these careers. If you, if you want to do that job, you have to do a lot of school and you come away with a lot of student debt too, but it's a whole nother <laughs> thing. Yeah. We're not going to get into that. So are you dealing with any gangs at this point? Is there any, is there any gang interaction from people yeah, that are were, trying to get were, help? Yeah, there were definitely people that were, I think, associated with gangs. Um, I think there was any active like association. They weren't, weren't supposed to be in the program, uh, but, yeah. um, but we were talking because of where it was. Yeah. We were talking before and it came up and we made them stop Mark <laughs> because <laughs> I forgot that our area had a gang blown away. I forgot about this. Well, then you said there were two, right? There was another one you were talking about. Well, yeah, it was spawn. It was a spawn of the other okay. one. Yeah, they, they were called the South Buffalo Gangsters. Yeah. So and then there were the little gangsters, the SBLG. <laughs> <laughs> and someone approached I mean, you. Yeah, I think. But I think it was like in seventh or eighth grade. So oh, we were young. I mean, yeah. I can't even believe. But there were neighborhood fights and things like that. A pretty normal, I guess, for at least normal for us. Yeah. I remember. But. But I mean, nobody these, had a name. No, like, these guys had I mean, a name. They had graffiti, so they were official, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and you heard about them, but they, you had to get jumped into that gang. I remember. Oh yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's that was, crazy, dude. Yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah, th that's like I'm, I'm just like hearing these things now, and I'm just thinking Tim <laughs> got all his ideas to mess with me. <laughs> With, From the like, South Buffalo gangster? Yeah, him and Doyle. Is, is, is there Tim? are definitely people that remember yeah. this. Oh, um, yeah. And, but, um, yeah, I, I kept my distance. There were a couple people, actually, in, even in, like, uh, you know, grammar school, grade school, that, that kind of, like, were part of that world. Peanut. And, and they definitely. Booger. Yeah. He was in it. Yeah. I'll tell you about him after, Mark. No, I mean, I. It seemed like credible that at least a couple of them had guns and were doing other stuff, and like I was, you know, I sort of in my mind made an association between them and, um, because like my house was robbed when I was a kid. They ended up finding the 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 guys that did it, but it was, you know, they they loaded up our hockey bags. Oh they yeah. Found our hockey equipment. Yeah. In our house. I remember that. They dumped the hockey stuff. Like yeah, I didn't even want that. It's most, it was worth probably the, most. the most expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably the most expensive thing in my house at that time, yeah. uh, which is shows how smart all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Shows how smart these guys were. But anyways, they like dumped it in a dumpster, like a couple blocks away on Altery or something. I yeah. don't know. South park. And they, but they loaded up the hockey bags cause they're big with like stuff from the house. But I associated all that crime stuff with, you know, that gang, but, um, <laughs> and then I don't, I don't even know if it was necessarily that oh, I'm sure it was them it, or it'll be Mark. You can't talk gangs. These 
these fucking Emmy Award winners, the Clark family. You remember oh, them? Yeah. Like, they stole everyone's bikes. Yeah, <laughs> there were some mean characters, and they do uh, come up to the surface. Like now that they're becoming adults, some yeah. of them. Yeah, uh, there were some uh, characters on the mean streets. But back then, in this neighborhood, you. You had an idea that it was three different groups. It was either the South Buffalo Gangsters. I can't even say it with a straight face. <laughs> the the Clars, and then there was a, there was this other family. I'm not going to go in. They were from Seneca Street. Uh, I'm not even going to say their name. Yeah. I mean, I I just remember uh, you, you always having an infatuation before we get to you traveling the world and yeah. stuff. I think that you uh, you always had an infatuation with like worldly things. You're always picking up like instruments and. Things like that. Uh, yeah, for sure. I, don't, I was starting to think that maybe it was just growing up near Canada almost because we would like I would go to Canada to get my I would go to Canada to get my hockey skates sharpened. Yeah, I think that was Billy Crean's idea. But, you yeah. know, like we would do that and then eventually we'd go see Canadian bands, obviously. Yeah. Hip Tea Party others um, like and, and so like being able to go to another foreign country 10 minutes from your house. It's kind of cool. It was but, always neat for our age group. Yeah, so that was cool. And then, so we played hockey in Canada a lot too. Um, so I kind of wonder if that was an influence to try to want to to like see more, because in my immediate family, not a lot of people traveled, with the exception of like a, a cousin and an uncle, a couple uncles that were in the military. But mm-hmm. um, like, not a lot of people went too far outside of what was like Canada. Um, for other places but maybe maybe that influenced it but yeah i definitely after uh yeah during college i think i definitely like most people get more into music and started collecting instruments too i was in a pretty very unsu- unsuccessful band for a while um, <laughs> aren't we all what was the name like in that band we had a mandolin um no it was an auto harp uh a banjo a sitar that I ordered from eBay for like a hundred bucks. Um, and then none of us really knew how to play. Um, but it was cool to like try to understand these instruments. Yeah. Um, and you know, like even the Beatles, right. Just like they got really into world music and other artists too over right. their career. So it's, um, but yeah, it seems like I was, I, I know way more Canadian bands than, the for average sure. American, for sure. <laughs> yeah. you know, broken social seat, all those um, bands too. But um, yeah, I don't know how it relates to what I did later, but I, I, it, it's kind of funny though. I still listen to like my playlists from around uh, 2000 to 2005. Um, <laughs> and a lot of those uh, bands I still listen to. So, Oh yeah. 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 You guys, uh, you always had some instruments around the house. I remember it was always inspiring, and now you see how I live as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's cool to see uh, Buffalo music too go in different directions. Yeah, what's? What, yeah, I'll we'll share have that. To get that playlist. Well, you talk about helping people locally. Now we're gonna help the world. The Peace Corps, Marky. You hear about the? What Peace. is it like getting vetted for the Peace Corps? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is like a like. This really fascinates me. Um, technically, I think even still, you don't need a college degree to do to do join the Peace Corps, um, but it's highly preferred. Mm-hmm. Um, but you basically just apply, and then it's like a six to twelve month process. 
Um, it's more you have to be patient and have a day job lined up while you wait because it takes a long time because they go through they do a they do a background check on you um, and then they do a medical medical screening basically those two things take the longest mm-hmm. amount of time um, yeah and then they say now it's different actually from when I did it because I didn't know where I was going it used to be that you applied and got through those steps and then they said okay you're gonna go to um, you're gonna go to Togo in West Africa and you really didn't have any say in that but now they now you can actually choose where you go which is totally different than it was um, like 15 years ago um, it was almost 15 years when I um, when I joined so or when I started the process so um, they assigned me to Peru but yeah it was for me it was like an eight-month process because I, I didn't have like medical issues I mean it can be pretty quick actually mm-hmm. but it's not uh, you know I think I don't remember. I don't know how it is right now, but you have to write an essay. You have to, yeah. um, you have to, you have to submit a resume of things you've done. Cause they do like people that have done like at least one thing that they could say like, Oh yeah, you could, because you did this, because you were like a social worker for a couple of years, you could probably fit into this program where we need to help the health system in rural Peru, which is what I ended up doing. Right. But yeah. Um, what made you, what made you, uh, get interested in the Peace Corps in the first place. I was in the social work job and pretty burnt out by that point and like wanted to see the world. So I just, that seemed like, um, the best option. Three years in Peru. It was three. It's, uh, you sign up for two and I extended to do one more. It seemed like the best option to me because it was the, the longest kind of, and it seemed like it set you up for, um, things after that. Um, like if it was shorter than that, you know, it'd be hard to throw that on your resume and like sell that uh, for your next job. But I, I just wanted the experience to be like longer than a two week. Are you reading up on? Trip. Are you reading up on Peru before you go? Are you getting familiar? A little bit. Yeah, they send you. They send you some like a pretty basic overview of the the country. But yeah, then I started reading up. Um, it, I, I really applied after I went on a really short trip to Nicaragua which at the time was the Western Hemisphere's second poorest country. Um, but, um, and so we went there on like a, a trip uh, with a friend of mine and came back and I decided I wanted to see, see more of the world. Cause after, at that point I had only known Canada uh, yeah. for other countries. So I was like, okay, now let's see Canada, Nicaragua, two extremely different countries. And then I decided I wanted to try Peace Corps and see where they were, see where they were going to send me. So, Wow. Yeah, so then I quit the social work job and moved in with my parents for that the last summer. I think it was like a couple months and um Yeah, to me it was it was pretty it was a pretty big moment because it's a big commitment. Fuck uh, yeah. It was like <laughs> 25 uh 26 and you sign up for 24 months, so but ended up making that extending for a, a third year. And you recommend it to people right now that are in that field, they should get into that. Yeah. And I, you can be in any, almost any field. Right. And now it's even better because you can go on their website and choose like what matches your background and apply specifically to that country. And if you don't want to go to certain countries, you can avoid those and just apply to ones you, you want to go to. Um, that's totally different than how it was when I did it. But, um, so it's, it's, you know, 
Well, you look back at that time too. Countries that were great, great countries to go to, but now those countries did a one eighty. Some of them, you know. Yeah, true. And then um, a lot of countries also. I mean, in general, because there's so much crazy stuff happening in the world, a lot of mm-hmm. horrible stuff. But in general, things are getting better. I think so um, too. If even though, like, if you look at the news during any given week, you would be shocked to hear that things are overall getting better in terms of how long people are living. Um, yeah. In general, like there are places where life expectancy, um, even in the U.S., certain places go has gone down mm-hmm. when it should be going up but um like in general people kids like more kids are reading more people are literate less birth, people are going birth rate birth rate um mm. yeah um yeah so in general things are getting better and i think peace corps definitely played or plays a, a role in that for sure um because there's not a lot of bureaucracy in it it's not a lot of like you know you're actually they send you to these places and you get three months of training usually in the capital city like i was outside of lima and that's where they did the language training and actually taught you how to do your job but then they basically put you on a bus and it was like a 20-hour bus ride for me up to the north of the country which is like desert um desert then it goes to uh, mountains rainforest peru's a pretty altitude it's amazing country yeah but they just sort of drop you off and then you have to work with the locals to figure how figure long out was that bus to, ride? Did you say 20 hours, 20 hours? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like and, that was your first thing when you got yeah, off the plane. Yeah. Like, well, no, I did. Yeah. Cause I did three ride. months. I did three months in Lima. Oh, okay. So you kind of, uh, but then they, after your training, you're, you're off and you figure it out, but you, you actually sit there with the local community members and like, I mean, my town was only 25,000 people, but I sat there with the mayor and I was like, what do you guys want to work on? You start from like zero or what are you guys already working on and how can I help? Does he speak English, the mayor? Uh, sh- she did not very little. Yeah. So really? it was all Spanish. And you're fluent in Spanish. I am. Yeah. No, from that's... because of that, because of that time. So then you were not. I took Spanish in high school, but it didn't really oh. stick. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. I was in Mike's Spanish class in grammar school. <laughs> grammar, yeah, we grammar used to draw in the books. That's all we did. Yeah. That poor woman. Miss Trippy. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I, I had her too. Oh, that poor woman. <laughs> I'm not a very good classroom learner when it comes no. to, you know, although I just did seven months of Hebrew language and, and nine to five every day, which is, that was a lot of uh, classroom language training for my current job. Wow. Now with state, but we'll state get department. to that. Uh, yeah, but uh, Peace Corps is amazing. I would recommend anyone that like is sort of like, you know, that mid 20s crisis where you don't know what's going to go on, know what you're supposed to be doing in life, but you have like a set of skills or just the motivation to do it. Uh, it's definitely worth it because it'll most I think for most people, it, it sets you up. And if nothing else, like you get just this amazing experience learning about another country. You probably just learn like more appreciate what you have, yeah. sort of. Yeah, and because um, I mean, living there for as long as you did, was there like things that you're just like, wow, I would not eat that, or I wouldn't do this, or like, well, I got. Can you I, get tapeworm or something when you're there? Yeah, I got some kind of worm um, for a while. I got I got a weird like some weird insect urinated on me um, and it see was, that's my fear of going to these places. i was on a hike like in the right on the border with ecuador in the very north of peru and the inca was, trail it, uh 
well, actually, part of the Inca Trail does go up that yeah. that far north. Uh, but this was this was like this was like a former militarized area when Ecuador and Peru yeah. were in a war. And but there was some bug that the locals are like, oh yeah, that bug, you know, will piss on you, and your know, arm will swell up to like three times the size and break down. <laughs> and they said like, that oh, in cool. Spanish. <laughs> yeah. But you're yeah, like, oh like, yeah, no problem. Then. Yeah, it looked like I had third degree burns on my arm. Say and, it in Spanish. Say what? Say, you know, that bug's going to piss on you. <laughs> uh, wow. Esa hormiga orino en, en mi brazo. <laughs> <laughs> if you hear that, people, know that that bug will piss on you. Well, that's why I wanted If you hear that. <laughs> yeah, my Spanish is a little rusty because the he- I think there's only a space in my brain for two languages at a time. Cause the- that's fine. Uh, that's fine. That yeah. Hebrew really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But no, Spanish is it's a good good language to know. But um yeah, so stuff, crazy stuff like that. Like there were times, you know, bucket bucket showers, you know, just dump bucket water on your head. That's your shower. Um, that's um, that's different. And you you can't <laughs> um, drink the water over there. Uh, I boiled the water. You boil, uh, yeah. My town was relatively. My town uh, that I lived in was, or that I was assigned to was, um, pretty developed with twenty five thousand people compared to other towns that um some of my friends got sent up to the mountains which i i actually secretly i wanted to go up to up to the mountains and and live there but and eat, eat <laughs> guinea pigs and all the things that you well i was getting it at marky when you go into the mountains you gotta chew the cocoa leaves right Mark? yeah right, Mark? i yeah yeah i did uh i did do that it's we we were warned not to go to the coca growing areas because those were totally off limits pretty dangerous too oh sure and um Many of the countries in that region are still number one, number two in coca production that ends up being Cocaine. Yeah, exactly. But you and need chocolate. chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh not chocolate. <laughs> Although the, the chocolate down there is really good. Is it? Uh but um yeah, but you need like I forget what it is. It's like almost a ton of the coca leaves to make like an ounce or a gram of yeah. actual yeah. cocaine. But but it anyways but the u.s had or and still has all these programs to try to eradicate reduce replace yeah. those crops with things that are viable you know, for good health in general vi- yeah, yeah exactly and you got to watch how much you eat i was reading you you can't eat too much because of, of you'll get leaves? sick you'll get sick well it's especially they use because it to, the they use it to fight the altitude sickness yeah, and yeah. They, they like it's like almost like they use it like chewing tobacco right and it, they have a big wad of it um i never heard that you can like get sick i don't know but um yeah the the elevation's like it's up to fifteen thousand feet in some place so it's crazy so but, like when you guys go there like it's good that you guys have your camaraderie between like you guys but like do, do ever does everybody welcome you do they know that you're helping no no uh, not everybody i mean some people ignore you um i've had friends tell me stories of people throwing rocks at them like they don't want them there but that's in areas where they're just really fearful of outsiders. Mm-hmm. Not even specific to Peru, but also in Peru, um, you know, they have legends about foreigners coming in and taking, like, taking their children and, like, uh, just the history of outsiders coming in and colonizing them. It just goes way back, like all the fear people have around people coming in. But uh, so that happens in the Peace Corps too, where people just. Um, don't want to work with you but my my town was very open-minded for the most part and like you 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 figure out pretty quickly early on like 
who wants to work with you and who doesn't. And then you just don't work with the people that don't want to work with you. Um, but then everybody sees the benefit of having people help, right? Yeah. And then sometimes <laughs> yeah. someone that you meet like a year uh, or at the very beginning of your assignment, they come around later and like, oh, I actually do want to work with you after they see what you've done on some project, like <laughs> yeah. to build latrines in this village or, um, you know, you know. Is that what Whatever. it's it's harvested around? Is it a hull harvest around like health and like water or what was your Peace job? Peace Corps is all job? health. Uh, yeah, health, which can include water. Um, like I was working on malaria prevention to HIV AIDS prevention, um, getting more health education in schools, but then environmental issues, business issues, um, how to market, how to make small businesses grow. And then... Um, water and sanitation too like so you could actually have an interest in engineering or background in engineering and go do this and like build aqueducts and water big water projects for communities that don't have water so like there's a lot of different stuff you could do if you're interested in like any of those back any of those backgrounds um not too shabby for a kid from whitfield there marky yeah right that's what i mean fucking a right (laughs) well there's a lot of customs and uh I, I went down a whole wormhole last night, Mike. Don't drink too much Pisco, they say. Pisco. 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 What's the Pisco? Pisco's. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was going to do it. Well, Pisco is a um, brandy wine. Brandy wine, yeah. Made in Peru and Chile. I think it's getting more popular in the U.S. But it is. Not to the extent that tequila is, but um, right. it's, Yeah. They make the pisco sour with it, which involves an egg white, a bunch of sugar, bitters, and lime juice. And pisco, it's uh, clear. And I've actually Have you had, had it? no, but I've had this next one that I've seen. It's strong stuff. Yeah, that, it said that. Don't drink too much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I watched the video. That's how the guy said. It. I gotta find it for you. And then the cola. I've had Inca this cola, yeah. Inca Cola. Yeah, tastes like bubble gum. It does, and it's in like all their. It's everywhere there. I forget what the ingredient in there that it's like a type of spearmint that's only grown in um, Peru or South America. I think that they actually put in the the mix to make that to make that. You can uh, get that in Toronto. Drink. Can you? Yeah. So does the Peace Corps have some sort of credo, or is it like there's a handshake or? You know, um, do they have a motto? Is it like it used a... to be the toughest job you'll ever love? Whoa! Yeah. Oh, I don't. I like that. I don't think they're. I don't know. I don't know if they're still using that one, but um, no, it's. But basically, there were three goals to bring to do uh, technical assistance to bring like to help help these countries was the goal number one, and then goals number two and three were to improve how foreigners un- see Americans, like understand what America is all about. And then the goal, goal three was about um, Americans understanding other countries better, which, you know, I still think are good, good things. But those were the three goals. The mm-hmm. motto might change over time, but um, no secret handshake, though. But there's kind of like a camaraderie, some like different military branches, not comparing Peace Corps to the military at all. But there's definitely that like camaraderie. If someone has done the Peace Corps, you kind of know what they've they've been through. Um, but like some, uh, like, like some people have in the military too, where they're, they're kind of friends for life with people that have done that. Yeah. Also doesn't look bad on a resume. Yeah, it's, that's true. Yeah. But you could also, you could do, you could make it all about what, 
whatever you want to make it about sort of at the end of the day, you could, you could do it just for your own, just like, because you want to see the world or you could, you could make it a thing on your resume, but um, if you it's go- never get, it's probably never going to look bad. Never. Yeah. Never. If, just if you Google people, it, unless Mike, you get kicked out and that's, you know, <laughs> if you Google it, you know, what keeps popping up that the guy and the girl from boy meets world went to the peace corps after graduation. <laughs> <Did they? laughs> Every fucking page I was on. And by the way, boy meets world. Well, I, now I that- don't even remember that. Wow. I'm. I wasn't a big. I was asking my, my wife. She's like, "Yeah, that guy, that girl." You know? I remember. Yeah, her and him. And It'll Topanga. come up in movies too once in a while. And yeah. the other one that comes up, Baby from Dirty Dancing, was going to join the Peace Corps. But they oh. tried to put her in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but those. I did. Know, I did know that. In social, uh, yeah. uh, you know, in this is uh, this comes up, you know. But it, she never. She was going to. She never did because they she put her in did. the corner. But it is it <laughs> is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, everyone knows. Yeah. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. But it is interesting because like there's AmeriCorps too, where you could do all similar stuff but stay in the U.S. That's a good program. But um, it's interesting now that I'm in Israel. Like there, it's mandatory to join the army there. Mandatory if when you're 18, or if you don't join the army, you then you have to do a national service program. So you have to do in Israel, you have everybody has to do um, three years for guys, two years for women in the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, um, or do like a national service thing where you go work at a health thing or do education somewhere. Um, and the only groups that have an exemption to that right now are the ultra Orthodox. They don't have to do it because it's um, it's it's not doesn't conf- military service doesn't conform with their specific form of judaism and that's a big topic in israel but um but it's it's interesting to be in a country where like everybody that that's like something that unites all the israeli young people like they've all done army so Mm -hmm. you could talk to anyone at the bar cafe or wherever and be like you could share stories so uh, they but a lot of them like come away with pretty awesome skills like doing cyber stuff and like all kinds of um cool things that the israeli army the military does it's like having your school have all the funding in the world but yeah and that's why they that's why they say i'm not advocating for this in the u.s because like most people say that would infringe on your uh, you know constitutional well right to a couple of these kids need to kick in the ass i think it would be great but it is interesting because in israel they um you know they have the highest per capita like startups and tech companies because all these like young people come out of the army and they get these skills and they, they start companies, they do all kinds of stuff. And so the, it really helps their economy a lot too. But so, well, that's kind of a tangent from like what I like Peace Corps. It's cool that we have these programs in the U S but not a lot of, like, I didn't even know um, Peace Corps existed until someone told me about it. It's not, not a lot of people know about the programs we have, but right. it's interesting to visit another country where it's actually mandatory. And yeah, yeah. and they need it. Um, we're still in Peru, and talk to me about going into the rainforest, Mike. This has always fascinated me. Well, the the rainforest, the Amazon is pretty cool. I mean, I question whether it was a wise decision to jump. I took like a wooden boat out to the when you get into the amazon river it looks like you're in the middle of lake erie i mean it's you can't really see the it's so wide certain places where you can't really see the shore so but i i 
I was on vacation with a Spanish couple and we just jumped in, jumped in the river just because that was a good idea at the time. (laughs) And, um, you know, I, and like, it seemed like that could have really gone south. As all um, a bunch of Jeff Buckley fans in here and you're telling us about jumping in the river. that was the Memphis, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm thinking like Mississippi and Memphis, right? Mississippi and Memphis. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it's like there were a few moments along. Probably everyone could say this though, like a few moments where like if something just went a little differently, like you wouldn't be here, or something would have seriously gone <laughs> oh, yeah. wrong. That's one of the moments for me. But um, yeah, the rainforest, like this is a pl- there. Are, most of the places you have to either fly into or take a boat into, so it's pretty cool. They have these floating cities um, there, um, and it's you know totally different food it's like a totally different world yeah um you know shamanism is big there the shaman um, <laughs> you know fascinated uh, with the shaman but um yeah so it's just like they have their own customs and um it's pretty amazing so i think i did two trips and you've heard of machu picchu right yeah but that's kind of like on the eastern slopes where it's jungle but they have um ruins all throughout the jungle in Peru that, you know, aren't even that <clears throat> uh, well known like Machu Picchu is like uh clay lap in the, in the Northern part of the jungle. It's, it's, and you take these roads to get there and that's another time where like the wheels of the, the, the bus that you're taking to get to these places are like hanging off the side of the road. Um, I think there was one point where I actually had text messages set up to like, if I go off the side, I didn't get to hit send. And yeah, um, cause you know, I may never see you again kind of thing. So it, it, you know, to get to some of these places, it's pretty crazy, but, um, I was adventurous at the time, so. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And some, some South Buffalo friends came down to visit too. And we had pretty fun, pretty fun times. Food is great. Usually I would, when people would visit, we'd go to the mountains or the jungle, um, yeah, so. scares the shit out of me. Yeah, me Snakes too. And I'd last spiders. forty-five minutes. Yeah, and um, yeah, so. nothing to you. That stuff doesn't phase you. Nothing phases you. It seems. Yeah, it's you like have you a, have to rip the bandaid off. It's, yeah, it's kind of like it's you have kind a of goal, scary. and you have to accomplish that goal. It seems to me. Well, it's a laid-back country. I've, I've read, and you got to watch out for fake police. No? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. And don't be cheap for lodging, because you never know if a bug will piss on you. <laughs> <laughs> and don't, and be, this, be this, careful where you're hiking. That's all. Yeah, I yeah. Say, yeah. And this is the best one. Don't expect comfortable personal space. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever be going to Peru. Then <laughs> is that true? Or, well, I think that's most places. Like most well, places yeah, I've like, gone, that's different. Like New Orleans, I'm not going there. Uh, like you know, yeah, oh, comfortable it. space. Uh, uh, yeah, probably like people will yeah be closer to you standing in line. A lot of other places I've gone, people just don't they don't do lines in general, like lining up at a grocery store or whatever. It is just free for all. Whoever, yeah. Um, so uh, it's even like that sometimes in Israel, but like it's it really depends on where you go, just the customs. But uh, personal space is, I think probably the like uh, the U.S. and some other countries in western europe have more enjoy more personal space mm-hmm. than some other countries uh allow for usually and then 2010 to 14 marky he's been 
in the front lines. Now he's going to HQ, Peace Corps headquarters, Washington, D.C. Yep. Yeah, and that's where I met my wife, actually. Great. Um, and she she was in Peace Corps in Paraguay, tiny. Uh, well, it's not that tiny, but landlocked country in South America. Peru is three times the size of California, so it's actually really pretty big. Oh, yeah. uh, but uh, met her there. Definitely a less exciting job is sort of working. Um, I was working on a desk covering uh, a few different countries, but in Central America. But a couple times I got to travel, went down to Central America when violence was getting bad down there. And they wanted me to figure out whether it was still safe to have Peace Corps volunteers down there. So I traveled about like, I think it was like almost a thousand miles in El Salvador and Guatemala um, with staff members. By that time, I was a staff member. So I was trying to figure out if it was still safe to use some of these roads. And because um, the security situation got really bad around that time, Peace Corps ended up pulling volunteers out of Honduras because someone got shot on a bus. So in certain places, and, um, but then again, in Guatemala, Peace Corps has stayed. Um, there was a 36-year civil war there, like 200,000 people, I think, killed during that period. But Peace Corps was there the whole time. So it really depends on the situation in the country. But yeah. um, they ended up staying in El Salvador and Guatemala um, at that time. But yeah, for those four years, I, was, I had pretty much like a, a desk job by that time. But the cool thing about Peace Corps is after you get you get like um, uh, a special status to apply to federal government jobs. So so I had that. So it's a federal government agency. So I was able to get in. It was kind of foot in the door that way. Like the military, if you do military service and you get out, you get all these points in your favor to apply for federal jobs, mm-hmm. any, any federal job. Um, and as long as you like you qualify for the position, you you get a leg up in, in getting your next job. So, wow. so that's kind of a nice perk too. 930 club down in uh, DC. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good spot. There. I think I saw the hip down there probably once or twice. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, I was outside probably one there. of their last uh, trips through DC. Actually, I was outside there one day and the guy looks at me, he goes, where are you from? I go, Buffalo. He goes, Get out of here and don't stop at any stoplights or stop signs. <laughs> it's like, well, we were gonna go to this place, this little, the, this bar. He goes, no, I'm not letting you go in there. Or in the 930 club. Outside of the ninth, it was okay. down in the block. Yeah. But what a club! So the, yeah. So you get you're bouncing around DC for four years. Yeah. How did you like live? Because a lot of people say living there stinks, but then I've heard it's enjoyable. So I've heard both ways. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I don't know. I think there's probably a handful or more than that uh, people in South Buffalo that have gone to live in D.C. for a while. Yeah, yeah. I know there's a huge Bills backers uh, club in D.C. where we go out for the Bills games uh, every Sunday. <laughs> yeah. We have found San one. Antonio yeah. chapter. Exactly. Here. Yeah. I haven't found one in Israel yet, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Is make football, one. A, make one. Is football a worldly game? Does anybody pay attention anywhere else? Well, yeah, I, it's getting like when I was in Mexico uh, for my first State Department assignment, um, that was the first year I think there was a game in Mexico City. I think it was the Raiders and I forget who they played. Probably the, the Steelers, Jaguars. maybe. Oh, no, it was so, the Steelers, maybe. Uh, but uh, so and then the, the games in the UK, I think is I mean, I don't know. I'm not like. Yeah, I'm not a super huge NFL. I mean, soccer, obviously. But, 
you hear tons about, right? Soccer's probably always going to be the world. Game, yeah. But um, football nah. is, is growing, I think. I mean, it seems like, I mean, it seems like, it seems like they're trying to bring it to other countries, I but I think it's growing outside the United States and it's diminishing in the United States. Probably. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. But, um, was it, was it like a major city or are, are you, do you feel like you're living in monument city? Are you in monument city or is this a happening city? I mean, a lot of people said that. To I me. think DC is cool. I had yeah. a lot of, I, I like it there. My wife is from outside of DC, grew up there. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think it's like the swamp or anything like that. No, um, it was built on a swamp. Yeah, but, <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, it's just amazing having all the stuff and it's free. All the museums, and you know, you can visit these places and learn, you know, something new every week if you wanted to. There's just yeah, a lot of it's good, a lot of good bars, restaurants, all that stuff, um, and it's it's close to a lot of things like you could. You could get back to Buffalo easily. You could get to a lot of other places um, from there. But, you know, I liked it, but it's probably not for everybody. It seems like an easier place to live than, say, New York City, because New York City just seems, I mean, when it's crazy. But it's fun for, diff- it's great for different reasons. But it's like a more, it's a smaller city. So it's, I found it pretty easy to get around and live it in. It is and, smaller. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your uh, brother lived there with you. And my brother for- lived there uh, for a while. Um, and you know, a few, there was, there's, I have a cousin down there, two cousins down there. Uh, a lot of, there's a lot of Buffalo connections down there for sure too. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I was down there for the job, but it was, it was a good place. Half-ass cousin, Bridget Quinn. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Mike have the same family. It's weird. We're not even going to explain it. <laughs> He's related to one side. I'm related to the other. They, it's a whole thing. So. We're going to get, now you're going to be starting in 14. We were living in D.C. Anything you want to talk about that you accomplished when you were in D.C. before we move on? But I was really sort of like trying to establish myself and like pay off student loans and like figure out what to do next. But because um, the weird the thing with Peace Corps is you can only work with them for a total of five years as a staff member. So I had to, they, they. They push you out. Yeah, into when, the world. John, when John F. Kennedy created Peace Corps, he said he didn't want it to become, which is kind of cool, like a, this bureaucracy where you just have people in the Peace Corps for life, and then like they ended up don't they ended up not, you know, maybe uh, keeping up with the times or mm-hmm. innovating or becoming just like stale bureaucrats don't really care or which for the most part, you know, you know it can happen. It can happen in certain agencies, let's say. Uh, but uh, so Peace Corps, you have to they kick you out after five years, basically. My father so, had to retire at 57. Yeah. And I out. yeah, I have to retire as well after at 57 as well. I oh, they still do job. that. Yeah. Huh? Um, uh, actually, that's not true, but I I can retire at that. But anyways, no, I think uh, th- those years was just like trying to figure out what to do next uh, after Peace Corps. And then here we go, Marky, the State Department Foreign Aid. Foreign Service Officer. How? What? What? <laughs> I, 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 I'm 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 so impressed when I when I when I just like gasp like that. I'm very impressed. You just apply. Is it something you were looking at? How does it work, Mike? Uh, that that's a little tougher. You have to take basically three exams to get in. One is uh, one's just an, an online exam, 
U.S. history. U.S. Um, history? U.S. history, U.S. culture, um, including all types. Even there are some questions on music on there. So it's almost um, like it's almost like to become a citizen. Do you ever uh, see yeah, those a, lot of, a lot of questions like that. Yeah. yeah, like you have to know the Constitution. You have to study. I mean, if you paid attention in history class, you might not have to study. But if you <laughs> if it's been like 20 years since you've been in a, a history class, uh, you know, you probably should brush up on things. You, so you take this written exam, but now it's online and you um, then you take like an essay. But part of that is also like grammar, English writing. And then you take another written part that's all essays about um, what you've done. And then the final thing is a. Uh, uh, interview in person. So at the end, so it's really three tests, but that last one is the toughest because they, they create a fake, um, like they create a fake country and a fake, um, embassy situation. You have to work with other people that are also trying to pass the test to solve a problem. And you're, but there are people assessing how you interact with other people in the room. So you're, so you're like, you have to solve this problem and it involves money and it involves like, some kind of conflict, uh, maybe instability in this fictional country. And they sit you around a table and there are assessors from the state department in the four corners of the room, like jotting down notes on how you're interacting with other, the other people that are also trying wow. to get in. Um, so this is like spies like us, the Emmett Fitzhumes, yeah, so. Chevy but, Chase. Yeah. But yeah, so it's, um, and then it's an eight hour thing, like basically doing that. And then you have a couple other interviews and then you have like a 90 minute writing thing where you they give you like a binder of documents. You have to figure out a pro the problem in there, but they don't tell you what the problem is. You have to figure out what the go through all these documents and uh, figure out what the problem is and then write like how you would resolve it. And oh, that, that's a 90 man. minute thing. But the whole thing is about eight hours. But the toughest one is that last. If you make it all the way through, you keep you keep going to the next round. And then that's the final round. And then you that day you you get like a conditional job offer um and then you basically have to wait until uh the next class because they do a few classes a year and you go in um and start training from there so the stuff you're learning in o2 and duquesne kind of coming back here. kind of yeah 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 <clears throat> um fascinating and i didn't even make it through the first two times i did it because it's if you if you don't pass a specific one of those specific tests then um they make you wait a whole year and then you have to start from the beginning again so what's your training for this so yeah and then but then after the training is you get i'm saying like how do you prepare yourself to even take that test is it just oh, oh, books oh. books yeah books reading? like i reread the constitution um <laughs> I, you know a few times and because they they ask you i you read about the united nations and uh like global history, different wars, different a lot of Woodrow trees. Wilson, Woodrow Wilson. Yeah. I mean, really anything, it could be anything, but like they also ask on that initial test, they ask you questions about, um, you know, which one of these four artists was the most important jazz, uh, jazz musician of the 1920s. Is it so, is it so, so you're you really just not to, disconnected really to like reality. Strong. Yeah. So, yeah. So you have to yeah. like, um, they ask you about quotes from certain books that you were supposed to read in high school. Um, so, so I want to pet the wabbits. That's about all we read. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, and I was pretty far removed from 
high school by that yeah. point because this is like I was I was 30 years old because I haven't been in this that that long but um so I was taking the test then so it's like you have to brush up on certain things and read the constitution just... again yeah <laughs> yeah you never thought that document was going to matter so much in your life huh right that's interesting <laughs> yeah it's um but it's just good like as a citizen to know what what it says what you're right sir you gotta know but uh yeah for sure and so yeah that was definitely the toughest uh type of test and i hate tests i'm not good at like taking tests so i i also i actually studied how navy seals prepare for their training which is <laughs> kind of probably a stretch for most it's really not the same thing i'm like i'm applying to be basically a government official not kinetic not combat but actually the way they do training is pretty interesting um i was digging into certain podcasts i'm like because like you know especially in that group thing where they put you in a fictional country and they're watching you Mm -hmm. watching how you interact it's pretty stressful so i was like looking at how seals uh do breathing (laughs) believe it or not i was like you know they they breathe a certain way when they're under stress so i like i i did a lot of prep actually uh to go into that because it's a pretty intimidating thing um but so i was sort of all over the place to prepare um but um some people like ace it their first shot so it's just but that wasn't me um yeah so are you re everybody gets in their own way you know yeah. are you researching how to command a room or things like that like yeah speaking? i read like articles about that um because i'd probably impress them if you can take oh control, yeah definitely you know yeah if you if you mince your words or or if you're just like a jerk yeah i, I mean like some people are just jerks in that situation or that stuff comes out and they're like you know they dock you points so you have to like not be a jerk <laughs> um, and, uh, like you know remember how to get along with people but it's a weird situation because you gotta not like be in you... a locker room you gotta be a cohesive group yeah but i definitely think like things like sports help with that if you've played sports and mm-hmm. um weren't, weren't a jerk when you played sports then <laughs> it's good like you probably have a good leg up for something like that because you've learned how to like work in a team right because it's all about really what they're looking for is like can you work with other people Mm -hmm. um and um and and, and like yeah exactly yeah and and even to this day i go through it's like people want to hire you for your next job based on whether or not like other people say you're a jerk or not (laughs) it's pretty simple right i mean it's um it sounds it sounds um it sounds ridiculous but people actually want to know where's the first you place you're going as a foreign service officer cuz now you're a diplomat yeah and so the training then the uh, training ends training ends they give you i didn't need much language training because i already had spanish from peace corps but uh did you keep up with that the spanish or? yeah yeah i i had they test you to make sure you have the right score so um they test you i did a total like four months i think of of other training um i took a they there's a course you have to take in uh rural uh west virginia where the they teach you how to um uh if if someone's driving your car and like loses consciousness how to take the wheel jump on top of them and um wow. steer the car um to safety how to uh, avoid surveillance by people that are hostile to you. Uh, they actually put you in this community out in West Virginia and watch you 
and then um, um, show you a video at the end about how many times you 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 set yourself up to be vulnerable for attack. They they wow. they put you in this building that that the uh, Bureau of Diplomatic Security created for training purposes, and they like fill it with smoke, and you have to get out. Um, so they they fire non-live rounds at you and wow. handle the AK-47 so th- and other, you handle firearms, uh, but the training is, this is all training that, um, is they call it crash bang. Cause you, you get to, you get to bang up these old, like, uh, crown Victoria cars that they have <laughs> and, and you, you drive around this, this course and have people chase you basically. And you have to get away and they do, uh, detonations on the side of the road, like as if it was an IED. Um, but that's all too, that's a, probably my favorite part of the training because you you get to hopefully learn how to stay alive yeah. <laughs> um in places like you know even this week the the embassy in baghdad was um you know under attack so things can happen quickly in certain places and you have to know how to not die um, <laughs> yeah. or try try your best so that that was um the, the foreign affairs um uh threat uh, training that they, that they give you. So, but it's like part of this whole long, um, the basic training is six weeks. Uh, but most of it's like classroom stuff. Have you watched any of the Baghdad coverage? Yeah. Yeah. And that's glad scary. the situation is, uh, is calm now, but, um, um, you know, people think back to, uh, Benghazi when we lost an ambassador and, yeah. and, uh, five other, uh, staff but yeah then so my first assignment was mexico they sent sent me to a consulate in guadalajara which is uh, in the middle of the country sort of the breadbasket of mexico pretty historic city but most people have you know aren't super familiar with it but it's about 45 minutes from where mexico grows most of its tequila so <laughs> you could actually take a train called the jose cuervo train from guadalajara Whoa. to it, it like drops you off right in the middle of these these agave fields. It's just like these these agave plants, as far as the eye can see, and they're kind of cool because it's blue agave. So it's like this bluish, like the color of that whaler's hat. Oh wow! Whalers have over there, but so you can tour the agave fields and. Uh, but my job was not to drink tequila. But, <laughs> but, but now a, you know a lot about but it. But now I know way too much about tequila. And uh, <laughs> love tequila. And yeah, it's. Well, it's there. It's it's not like, you know... Here, it's a great alcohol. It's not something you slam. Like, they sip it like scotch down there. Right. Yeah. Um, You're a connoisseur like, now, you'd say? I don't know if I'm connoisseur isn't it like level, but... Isn't it like the only alcohol that has, like, a... It's like alcohol that has, like... It's not a depressant, right? It's a, I don't know. When you drink it, yeah, it doesn't feel like, you know, if you have a couple beers, it can, it can yeah. like, it can, like, weigh you down after a while. But, yeah, I don't, I don't feel that way with tequila. No. It's, it's kind it, of... His it's probably bro- still a depressant overall, but yeah. his yeah, brother it's... came up to us one day and he goes, guys, I got something to tell you. I quit drinking whiskey. We're like, oh, great, Tim. He goes, but I really started drinking tequila. <laughs> 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 no, it's crazy. Yeah. And we were at, like part of my job. The, like uh, we I got to go to the part of my job was to actually go to then. I think it was a 2018 International Tequila Expo, which was held down there. So, I mean, that. To say that that's part of my job was pretty cool because, um, you know, they had, I think they have more than 200 different distilleries, uh, maybe even more. Throughout. And how are you going to know what the best one is? 
Yeah. Unless you have it. Yeah, but it's this huge, on. like it's this huge economic thing too. And I think I think it's the fastest growing spirit in the US uh now. And so but there's like there's economics behind it too, and it's um it's pretty cool. But. It's fascinating to see the economics behind a product when you're right there. Yeah. Like with the agave and, and shit yeah. like that. Yeah, and that was cool. So um got to visit Patron too. Uh, all these, you know, all the all the distilleries you could visit. It's like going to, it's like doing the bourbon tours in, um, in Kentucky or wherever. When you're uh, in Mexico, are you adapt? Do you adapt as a diplomat? Is that one of your, your training? training? Yeah. Yeah. You adapt, but I mean, they give you housing. Uh, or housing is, right. is pretty so nice. You're not hiding anything. You're just, you're there. You're, you're out in the open. You're not trying to hide yeah, not, anything. You know, not, um, intelligence or anything right. like that. My job was to do visa interviews every day, mm-hmm. which is why I, th- I thought your dad's interview was pretty interesting because he was on the uh, on the U.S. side waiting mm-hmm. at the port of entry when visitors come in. But uh, but my job almost for that whole two years was to do I did uh, about 150 interviews a day, which comes out to about two minutes per interview. And so you're trying to figure out someone's life story in two minutes and whether or not they should be able to travel to the U S. Um, yeah. so I think I did over 30,000 interviews the whole time I was there. Wow. Um, so I guess you could, I met 30,000 Mexicans during that time, um, for two minutes, two minutes each. It's <laughs> um, like little, little dating, the, the, yeah. the quick date. It's kind of <laughs> yeah. like speed dating. Yeah. Yeah. Speed dating. yeah. And so you decide, should this person get a U.S. visa or not? Do you actually have a stamp there? It's not a stamp anymore. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think it used to be back in the day, but everything used to be paper back yeah. then. But it's all the computer. You got a computer screen. You can see whether or not you can actually see whether or not they've already tried to come to the U.S. unlawfully Illegally. and be, yeah. have been sent back, which was, you know, not not everybody by any means but uh you could you could see that some people be like no i've never been to the u.s and you see it yeah <laughs> yeah you were um, wah, wah, and, wah, and, but uh, no but i mean most of mine were actually most of them you could actually approve but the thing is the visa is like getting permission to knock on the door yes and what your dad does or did uh when he was um um you know department of homeland security actually grants permission so some people think that overseas is you know you know we're like we're giving just giving the visa but the visas uh the ability to travel to the u.s and you can still be refused entry at that point but um then there's work visas and then yeah all kinds so i did work visas too i did you know there's i think there's i mean there's over 20 different types of visas that you can you can get to do all kinds of stuff um like bands i had there were mexican bands that came up to do music in the u.s um but like I said, the majority were, were good, um, good to go. But, um, and the same goes for Israel where I did this as well for, for the first part of my job was doing something similar, but, uh, doing these interviews, like you, you need to catch the bad people that shouldn't come to the U S. So that's the main, that's the main, uh, thing you, you're looking out for. Let the, let the, let the, those that, um, look like they're credible and, because because yeah. you almost like that there's a human element on the one side too it's not just like yeah computers. And you're, you're behind bulletproof glass but oh, uh, no well. t- but there's still a human element you know standing on the other side it's not just like oh i applied and i got it and i did it yeah and um but it's also big that when people visit the u.s it's really 
important for our economy too because mm -hmm. it creates jobs uh you know millions of jobs depend on foreign tourists coming in um and uh so there's there's a lot of good to it so. we're we're gonna have the old man back on because yeah. we're gonna do a right we're gonna do a timeline and he started telling me the other day about farming that the farm that this is a racket of why everybody knows their people are getting in here illegally and they're they're letting them in because of farming he was going off on me the other day but it's yeah and well a lot of but yeah there's a big debate around that right yeah there's, there's uh the h2a and h2b visas i've done those as well that i mean um american companies want these people to come in um and and do a lot of this work um so there's there's specific agricultural visas where they come in and you know um pick and package blueberries or blackberries or they do all kinds of stuff so there's a lawful way, to, but for every every scenario, there's a lawful way to do it and a, mm -hmm. and an illegal way to do it. Um, and I agree. We, yeah, you gotta you gotta get in yeah. le legally. No ticky, no washy. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting because when you're overseas doing this work, um, or if you're at the port of entry doing it, a lot of our laws have not changed in a long period of time since you know in many cases uh, since the '60s or early '90s were one of the two periods when. Um, last immigration law was really reformed or changed significantly so a lot of people lot don't of it, know that yeah and a lot of it is you're, you're working from a playbook that is is old and outdated so you know for good or bad it any you know obviously it's a constant topic in politics too but it needs to be looked at again mm -hmm. just to make it better but um make it better for all all sides the other thing i did in mexico was help u.s citizens that visit Oh sure. So if you're that's in a big trouble. Yeah, that's a big part of the job. So oh. like I told you earlier, I got to visit Mexicans version, the Me Mexican version of Alcatraz, which I, I oh just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, is now closed. Um, but the basically the moral of the story is, um, uh, we do overseas. The State Department does more than ten thousand prison visits every year. These are visits to Americans that are, uh, you've seen that show Locked Up Abroad. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So you visit, you under um under the vienna convention international law requires that when an american or any other if a foreigner is arrested here in the u.s too they they are entitled to call their embassy yeah they're entitled to call their embassy so same for us when uh, we go overseas um you know within within 48 hours the local police have to notify us and say hey we've got so and so we think he he or she's an american you want to come visit so so we do that ten thousand times a year with americans overseas and all all the different countries state departments in 294 um locations uh worldwide consulates embassies but so i got to do that in mexico too in addition to the visas and some people find that more interesting because you're helping yeah. americans a lot of americans don't realize that we do this that we actually help we can help you overseas if you lose a passport we can help you overseas if you um, are in jail. However, some Americans also think that we can get you out of jail. That's not true. <laughs> That's definitely What's not true. What's the most common thing? Little midnight run action, or I mean, the most common thing. Um, I think one of the most common things in Mexico was people thinking like Mexico has pretty strict gun laws, actually. So people thought, or some Americans get locked up because they bring guns in. Um, mm -hmm. it's pro probably happens more along the border than where I was because 
you know you could just drive over you might have you might have a permit for a weapon in the u.s but if you cross over into mexico that's no longer valid because you mm. have to the basically the moral of the story is you have to abide by the laws of the country that you're in and the state department can't can do very little to we can't change those laws we can't even really tell the the government of that's that like co- the american kid getting caned yeah <laughs> Asian, exactly right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've, there's, there's stories pop up in the news pretty frequently of things like that happening. But um, probably Mexico was guns and drugs, for sure. Yeah. Um, but even Mexico had really strict laws around ter- certain types of like medications that were based oh, on yeah. pseudoephedrine, for example. And you'd have like an 80-year-old grandmother traveling with the family and the mexican authorities were like hey, what's all this pseudoephedrine for okay yeah. pasta <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we'd actually get cases where you know you got to get Edna out of the clink yeah so in those cases you know you could kind of say like she's not trying to process this into methamphetamine and yeah, yeah. and so she's She's, uh, it's a little easier, but, um, is the Mexican government doing that? So they get a little favor not for next time. Well, I future considerations, maybe I, I couldn't say, but, um, (laughs) I, for the most part, for the most part, no, (laughs) um, but any place, you know, you know, most places you go, I think local, um, authorities are used to working with us at this point. Cause, um, but but yeah, it can be really tough. So the prison island that I visited was like I think it was sixty miles or so off the Pacific coast of Mexico, and they there were five Americans there. Sure enough, locked up, you know. But they had they had committed different offenses, and um, I think I visited five or six different prisons. You don't want to be in prison overseas. You don't want to be in prison anywhere, but you don't want to be yeah. in prison overseas. Um, so. It's an interesting aspect of the work because you are helping, trying to help Americans. Um, and sometimes, um, but the thing is, we can't always, we can't just like get you out of jail it's because you are subject to local laws when it, you go overseas. Yeah. You know the Constitution. And some, it's you know, not there. <laughs> we also can't fly in like, uh, you know, a Blackhawk and like, or uh, <laughs> you, can't, you can't like fly rescue in. me. You can't, you can't, you can't just ring up the Marines and be like, Hey, an American, can you get me out of the situation? Yeah. Do, do you ever get a kid like, You gotta get me out of here, man? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you guys gonna kill me. Man. <laughs> yeah, he got caught with like whatever, Sudafed, yeah, Sudafed and shrooms, yeah, yeah, yeah. And but, it, he's got to be shitting his pants. He never thought, you know, he thought maybe he'd be denied and kicked back to his country right but instead it's hey hey junior yeah and in the best case scenario the the authorities will say okay we're gonna just deport you and a lot of americans don't realize how many americans get deported from mexico every year (laughs) (laughs) it's actually it's actually um there are quite a few so it's it actually does work both ways but um it's you can get in trouble pretty quickly um somewhere else if you're not familiar with the laws and then the good thing to do just the the one uh plug i would if you're traveling overseas go to travel.state.gov cuz each country has a list of what to do what to look out for and what to be careful of when you travel to another country and some countries we recommend not traveling to at all for yeah, because right. what, of, what are some of those off off the top of your head um north korea syria mm-hmm. um um yemen Is countries Cuba still on there? Uh, Cuba, 
I don't know where it is on the list it's right like now. Gray. But it's 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 um it's I think it's exercise caution when you yeah. when you travel there. But if you go on the website, you can check it out, and it it tells you why they're saying to exercise caution. Um, and you know you can you can travel to Cuba now with um you know with a special visa to go with a group or educational or mission uh to do that and a lot of people do that but um um yeah so but whatever the country is you you should check out the website and you can you can um figure out whether or not you really want to go to that country but if and if you do go what to look out for to not end up in trouble or harm's way is do you deal with businessmen like is there do you go to the embassy if you're like looking for trade or like to use a company to do things like legalities of that yeah yeah uh business people like like in like do you do, like direct them to pieces or it's like these guys pay taxes and they're legitimate or you know what i mean yeah a lot of it um is the, one of the missions of of the state department is to promote u.s economic interests too so like we just had this houston based company do um get natural gas uh exploration in in israel off in the mediterranean and wow. so the embassy played a pretty big role to help them work with the Israelis to, which was also benefiting Israel because now it, now Israel is more energy independent and energy is a huge issue in the Middle East. So now they have this all these natural gas fields in the Mediterranean. But this Houston company came in, so they were the business people that came in and helped develop it. And so, you know, now Israel can actually um, export natural gas and use it which is huge for its energy um energy situation but it's also good for that u.s company because it's good for their business so and they you know so they work with the embassy and that that happens that happens in every country for sure um yeah you get over to israel why does diplomacy matter over in israel explain to people this well in Israel, it, it matters everywhere because U.S. the U.S. people need to have their interests represented wherever the U.S. wherever we have um, an embassy or consulate overseas. Or um, I, I think diplomacy matters in Israel and other places because, like General um, uh, uh, Mattis, when when he was Defense Secretary, said, you know, if you don't if you don't think diplomacy matters, or if you don't fund diplomacy or fund the state department then that means i have to buy more guns because there's going to be more wars so if you don't want there to be more wars then diplomacy matters throughout the world because we're sort of behind the scenes trying to prevent wars from happening talking to government leaders to get them to understand the u.s perspective and um you know stay away from trying to convince you know other governments to um, do things that are the best for the U.S. So, um, but that could be different depending on the country that you're in. And honestly, it doesn't always work out. It doesn't, you know, sometimes we try and fail. Um, and then, but I think it's interesting to hear, you know, like even, even military top, the top military people, like in Israel, I see a lot of three-star generals, top military people that because it's such an important, um, mili- militarily, like the location, Middle East, the history of conflicts there. Um, but they all say that diplomacy is, is, is so important. Um, because if, if we don't talk to people, that means we're shooting at people mm-hmm. and shooting at people means 
Americans possibly dying or civilians dying. And it means spending a lot more money because what, what I do is a lot cheaper than buying, you know, aircraft carriers and things like that, um, or, or more guns. So I'm, I mean, but I'm biased because I, you know, you're a diplomat. Yeah, exactly. But, (laughs) but I guess my point is even the mil even like the top military people say it all the time that, um, um, you know, you might have people that are really gung ho about getting into a kinetic combat situation. Like, Oh yeah, let's go in and blow this country up or do, do, do this aggressive action because, um, you know, this country's not listening to us. So why don't we just go in and blow everything up? But most of the smart military people, the top people don't, they don't necessarily think that way. Cause like I said, it's going to mean more, more blood and, and more enemies. Yeah. And more enemies in the long run. So, so that's why it matters. And I mean, basically the whole purpose is to get, get, uh, basically get other countries to like us (laughs) like the u.s and not hurt americans when americans travel overseas or um support our businesses so that when a u.s company shows up and wants to build like a franchise or expand to another country you know that people are receptive to it and the government lets us in and that kind of thing so but a lot of it's not exciting work because it doesn't make the headlines like right you could go in and you know, and launched an attack and that makes headlines and it's, it's, it's bloody and it's, it's on TV, but diplomacy is mostly behind the scenes and people, you know, people walking into an office and trying to convince someone not to change a certain, not to do a certain policy that will, you know, negatively affect us. Uh, But with Israel, it's, it's really important. We, 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 um, the U S supports israel militarily like no other country in the world they used to say it was our jv (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i I don't know anymore they may yeah it's hard to say that it's honestly hard to say that but actually the the business connections too between the u.s and israel are huge in terms of defense um you can none of it no no, this is like top secret information it's all out there where you can just the cooperation is huge private sector and militarily but israel's defenses are really advanced um stuff i mean i i i'm i know that we learn things from them and uh and they 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 use our technology and vice versa in some cases but they're they're very advanced and uh they're in a they're in a historically hostile region so they have to be on the on their top game and developing people be amazed mike how many rockets Israelis shoot down. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's those I mean on a weekly, yearly, monthly basis, they'd be amazing. Yeah, since I've been there, there've been a, almost a thousand rocket strikes toward Israel, mainly from uh militant terrorist groups in in Gaza. Not from other countries, from the Gaza Strip, which was once part of Egypt and is now technically part of the Palestinian territories, but it's controlled by a terrorist group. Hamas. So, but they, when things flare up, it's not always clear why the flare ups are happening. Uh, but the, you know, I have a bomb shelter in my house that we, that we had to be trained to use. Wow. Um, we, um, a siren will go off like one of those tornado or just a really loud siren will go off when there's incoming rockets, but that hasn't, 
the one the closest rocket has landed that to me landed in a farming field like 30 miles away but 30 miles yeah <laughs> jesus I, I, I don't know if that's close that's or far close. but it's, it seems <laughs> too close <laughs> they they it's get 30 miles from here <laughs> yeah and <laughs> all right that's fine no <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and but Israel can shoot them down with uh, the technology. They have this system called the Iron Dome, which that's it, what I was getting into. It's actually they have like four different systems depending on the type of rocket coming in. They they activate the system and they they can shoot them down out of the sky, and it's it's more than ninety percent success. And then the rest, because if they they can they can tell if the rocket's going to land in an open field, not hurt anybody. And a lot of times they won't waste waste um, a missile to shoot down another missile if it's just going to land in a field. But Israel's the size of New Jersey, so a thousand rockets toward some a place the size of New Jersey is kind of it's a small Crazy. area yeah. and it's populated. So, uh, but uh, I've but, always had people tell me that the rockets sometimes that are coming are like station wagons. They're not Porsches. They're, they're a <laughs> yes. little old and they call a little slow, but still. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's, that's still that's a little true. scary. That also means that they're just not hitting their target either. That's, yeah. That's dangerous stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they, they are getting better with their technology. A I, lot bet. Of, I mean, any, any terrorist group is just out there, out there in the world is getting, getting more and more technology as the years go out. But, um, and as they get access, but, I've, I feel it's very safe overall, but things can go, um, things mm-hmm. can go south quickly. No, so, you're doing. You're, what are you doing over there day to day in Israel right yeah, now? Yeah, and right that now, you can talk about. Right now, I, I work in our front office, which is the ambassador's office and the, the the deputy chief of mission. So I don't I don't do visa interviews anymore. I'm working a different office, but it's, it's mainly. Um, I mean, we have more than a thousand people working at that embassy, which, um, which um, is no longer officially in Tel Aviv. Now it's in Jerusalem. So the ambassador spends a lot of time at the new location in Jerusalem. Um, but our staff are kind of spread out, but there are a thousand of us. So I, I work on personnel issues. I get these for every issue that comes in. The ambassador needs to be informed, whether it's like some high level political thing happening where he needs to read a report to be informed about what's going on. I help him do that. Or if it's like, um, so-and-so new staff members coming in, you know, so he's got to know about that too. So just keeping him informed on day-to-day stuff. But a lot of it's like, I also edit reports that we send into Washington. Um, and, and so I, I look at them to make sure that they're ready to go and it's all electronic obviously, but, um, you know, make sure that, um, that we're accurately describing like the political situation and then um, so that people in Washington know that uh, know what's going on. So it's kind of like a traffic cop type job. Like I, we get all this information flowing into that has to, one person has to look at it and that's usually the ambassador or, or the, the uh, deputy chief of mission. So it all comes through me. So I would get all this like, you know, it could be hiring or firing someone. It could like mundane day-to-day stuff, keeping the lights on, or it could be, um, you know, what's going to happen for Israel's next election. Here's a report that our political section wrote about it. So I have to show, you know, I have to show him. 
and you know see what he thinks about it before it goes to Washington and make sure he's you know make sure it sort of ac- accurately captures what we think is going to happen let's say um, or what 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 the Israeli government has has told us about something but um, you know but so it's it's an interesting job because it's I'm kind of in the middle of everything but it's mostly to keep other people <laughs> informed of what's going on so like when you're doing you're doing the job in Mexico you're doing it here is there like a point where they say you have to move or was that like a decision yeah to move? you have to move every two to three years so. so you're so this this job that you have now you're gonna you're gonna be somewhere else yeah next year i'm going to trinidad and tobago in the southern caribbean southern well the old man knows a lot about trinidad i'll have to Does hook he? You. oh okay. yeah all right yeah, yeah so really so that's awesome so, so like, it'll be a quieter assignment i think because everybody is always interested in what's going on in israel and it's very busy huge huge embassy mm-hmm. like i said a thousand plus people uh, work there so it's like it's just it's like working for a big organization and i think our embassy in port of spain trinidad tobago is like it's less than 100 people less than 100 americans so it's it's going to be smaller so That's but amazing, the cool though. thing about the job is it it changes every two to three years and you know yeah if, that's amazing it's like you know a lot of people it's like oh i have this boss that's terrible this is not really a problem in my career because if you don't if you don't like a coworker or your boss, well, it's going to change in two, oh, three it's years. Like the, weather, <laughs> the weather in Buffalo. Or if they don't like you, yeah, you're, yeah. you're gone. You're gone in two, three years. So it's kind of, but it's, it's kind of like the military too, because you get these orders, you get orders sort of, uh, I mean, you get a, you get to put in preferences for where you want to go, but then ultimately um, like the department of state decides where you go. And you get more flexibility as you get further on in your career. But, um, and if you don't get promoted, if you don't keep getting promoted, it's like the same thing happens in the military. You, you eventually sort of get kicked out. So you have to, you have to keep getting promoted or else you're going to be out eventually. Um, which, um, which is interesting. It's different than like government workers, let's say, um, in, in other places, like if you're if you're in the foreign service or if you're in the military, it's a system that they call up or out. Like you have to, yeah, you basically have to be pretty good at your job to stay in, or at least not, you know, not screw things up too horribly. So you've been all over the world. Best cuisine? Oh yeah. Oh, that's that's pretty tough. What's uh, something you like crave that you've eaten? That- I crave Peruvian ceviche, raw fish that they that they marinate in lime juice. It's just like raw fish, um, you know, usually like sea bass or something, or hey, sometimes they even use shark, but usually like some kind of white fish, um, mackerel, and they just marinate it in lime juice, onion, and it's just, it's really good. I got, I just, uh, I like that when I was down there. Stayed away from the guinea pig. Yeah. You, which, they is eat, a, which is a delicacy. <laughs> they eat guinea pig in Peru. Yeah, in Peru. But, um, but Israel and Mexico had really amazing hell too. yeah i mean mexican foods awesome. mexican food yeah. yeah um yeah but uh i don't know i'll give peruvian food the slight slight edge on that one really mm. what what do you eat in israel what's what would be israel, the common hummus yeah lots yeah. of hummus yeah and falafel um uh yeah give me give me and, some and actually uh, they do a lot of like after they do a lot of grilled grilled meat too yeah so it's it's really 
Israel's got amazing food too. Kebabs, cabbage, kebabs. Yep. Mike, Michael Brand here. Mike, he he, tri- he did his best to say he, to shut the fuck up. <laughs> gold star, yeah, dude. That's as good so as anybody gonna, could have did. Mike, you got anything for Mike? Any uh, I'm old just, school lacrosse stuff? Yeah. There, I, I, th- going back to talking about time and lacrosse, you know, I think they're th- they went from like we had a team since 1979. In their third year, they beat us. Like that's how fast they got good. The first year we crushed them. The second year we lot we won by one, and then the third year they beat us. Like they flipped from being a brand new team to being like one of the best teams in Western New York in what two three years. Man, it was crazy. And yeah, yeah, and I don't know. We always thought like the other teams, like you guys, Grand I- Grand Island, all the teams that have been established around, teams, yeah, established teams. I mean, they were always really intimidating to play up against because we had. I mean, at least. I did. I like had doubts. Like, are we really this good? Um, and at the beginning we weren't, we weren't that great, but um, I, I don't know. I think, I just think we had a bunch of guys that like, it was their life for yeah. it. Was, they like did it. Stick cuts. <clears throat> yeah. Like we would, we would play after school before school, like, um, and then just, it was probably the fact that we, I mean, I don't know. You guys probably grew up with one another in Grand Island too, but it's like we we lived inches from each other, inches from each other, yeah. and like you know, just made us better teammates. So, um, but those were all good teams. But um, it's really come a long way. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how we how we did it so quickly, other than that we had we had already known one another so long, um, and like and and we just practiced. Yeah, and we just practiced so much. You guys had all the skills. It's the same game as hockey. You had all the hockey players, you know, drawing the double, dishing, and and then style. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was good times. Yeah. So, also, you know, it's, I'm just uh, really excited that it was just randomly I was here at the same time, and <laughs> I knew it was a story I didn't want to interrupt anyway. So yeah. It was... Well, it's pretty impressive what you've done with uh, like growing the game too. Because not everybody has been able to take, like, take the sport and make it into something that's either like a business or a career or like, or work on or coaching or growing it beyond what we did in high school. But, but you have. You know where else they're doing it is Israel. Yeah, yeah. And I was telling you guys earlier that well, you knew about this, but uh, the uh, international games were held in Israel and Netanya right before I got there for my most recent assignment and I actually see kids walking around with lacrosse sticks there um wow you know if you go to the park or even in my neighborhood it's it's um popular not just with like American kids that live because there are a lot of Americans that have moved to Israel but it's not just the American kids um so it's pretty cool to see to see that grow globally too I think I saw it a tiny tiny bit in Mexico too but it's bigger than universities in Mexico uh-huh. just like it is in England it's like rugby. You played something your whole life, and then you get to university, and you can't make the university team. So you're like, oh, that's cool. I'll try that. Yeah. So that's how it grows in a lot of other countries. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I, I still have my stick is with me in Israel. So <laughs> nice. can't, I can't, you know, it's never able to part with that. I'm upset I didn't visit him in Guatemala because, I mean, Guadalajara, because we were probably only a three-hour flight yeah, away from each yeah, other. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, Marky, 
If we ever need a diplomat to succeed from the union, <laughs> we got one. Mike McGuire, I am very proud of you. Uh, glad to hear your family's doing well. And I'm actually in the black club with his father now. Oh, wow. And uh, Michael McGuire, you are now licensed to talk. Congrats on the podcast. Oh, oh thank, thank you. you. Oh, Marky. Yeah. Thanks, Brent. Spitting malarkey with Jimbo and Marky. Spitting spittin malarkey with Jimbo and Marky. Spitting malarkey with Jimbo and Marky. And if you didn't know, they're coming to you from Buffalo.